Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. I know you were probably expecting a little Grill and JR content. That comes out tomorrow. But we figured today, let's break down our new favorite wrestling television series. It's Tuesday nights on Vice. Of course, we're talking about Dark Side of the Ring. And joining us, as always, the two creators of that show, Jason and Evan. Jason, how are you, man? I'm good. How you doing? Man, I'm great on the heels of watching another phenomenal episode. And Evan, I know this is, uh, this is something you've looked forward to for a long time. You guys are huge Road Warriors fans, right? Oh, yeah. Big time. That is correct. Big time, yeah. Uh, we, Jason and I, <clears throat> you know, we grew up as huge wrestling fans. Um, you know, brothers from another mother. Um, but we, <laughs> we definitely both independently had, uh, uh, mutual love for the road warriors growing up. We thought they were the coolest possible thing that you could come up with, um, as, as kids. And, um, actually the history of doing an episode about the road warriors extends all the way back to season one, um, where back, you know, when we've talked about it a few times on the show before, but the original plans for season one was to have 10 episodes, but you know, as we've talked about in other episodes, we got it. The, the, the network shortened our episode order to six, but it, while we were trying to figure out what those 10 were going to be, one of the things that kept coming up was this idea of doing an episode about the road warriors, mainly based upon our love, our childhood love of the road warriors. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously when, when, when plans changed, we didn't do it, but it was actually at the StarCast event in Las Vegas, um, whenever that was, <laughs> is that, was that 2019? I think yeah, something like that. Right. Was that last year or the year before? No, no. The year before. Wow. Las, Las Vegas is 2019. Chicago was 2018. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 2019. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, um, cause it was right after season one aired. I think. And, um, and, uh, animal actually overheard somebody talking to me about dark side of the ring and animal came over to me at Starcast, and it like introduced himself. And of course I'm like, I know who you are, you know? And he was basically like, I'm a huge fan of the show. And what do you think about an episode, uh, about us? And instantaneously I was like, absolutely. Like, you know, funny enough, we've talked about it before, and so this is really the first episode where, I mean, Dr. D also kind of approached us, but Animal was the first one that really was like, you know, had come to us about doing an episode. And so that was just super cool. So right from the very beginning, when we knew we were going into season two, there's always a plan to do an episode on the Road Wars. And it may also sound ridiculous to say, too, is that if out of any of the episodes, this is kind of like, are like toys that made us episode because <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but like really like the road warriors, like as kids for us, like just the aesthetic of them alone, which is so like attractive. Like they really look like live action, real life, like action figures, you know? And that just like, I think always like stuck with us. And I know it was very informative for myself. Like, you know, I know like I was introduced to the road warriors before I saw you know, the road warrior movie. And then like that kind of, in some ways would have led me to like that film, which became such like a huge influential film, uh, for myself. But, um, yeah, they, I feel like the road warriors had like such an incredible impact on our childhood and for us to kind of like dive into like these, like these characters that were so striking to us and like, what is really the behind the scenes story about these guys, like what their lives, what were their lives like and how did they come, how did they get to, to like creating this like amazing like package that are the road warriors. And also, um, another reason that like this episode is very personal, at least to me is, you know, I'm from Minnesota and you know, most of the guys in the story, 
are from Minnesota or have at least strong ties to Minnesota. And so for me, it was kind of like when we did this episode, we had this idea of kind of flying everybody back to Minnesota um, to make it, you know, special that, you know, everyone's kind of coming back to their roots. And for me, it was kind of a coming home uh, experience. And so it was really kind of like this hometown hero episode that we were doing as well for me. So it was just kind of another way to kind of pay tribute and um, show our our uh, our fandom for for uh, the Road Warriors. Well, very early on in the episode, we get to meet uh, Hawk's brothers. And I don't know, man, these guys sort of stole the show for me. What was it like to meet these guys and and hear another side of the man we know as Hawk, Jason? Well, I wasn't there for that interview. I wish I was. Um, but I was like on the phone with Evan, like FaceTiming. And I remember like he like <laughs> walked into one of their homes and, <laughs> and I don't know if they were watching or not, but there was just, they had displayed all this like memorabilia, like road warriors memorabilia, like out on a table. And Evan was just like showing me this stuff. And it was just like, it was just blowing. My I was mind. freaking out. Yeah. You were freaking, um, but yeah, it's so it's so cool to like hear from like, you know, the two guys who were like closest to them and to hear, you know, we were always so fascinated about like Hawk's childhood and like how he became who he was. And you get a lot of that insight from hearing the stories from his brothers. Yeah, it's kind of like you almost think like Hawk just sort of came into being, you know, as this like, you know, muscle bound, you know, warrior right you know like like out of thin air but to to kind of see that he had this whole childhood and he has these very normal um you know brothers very grounded <laughs> brothers you know is is just kind of this wild experience but rich and dan um were awesome um and it, it was really cool because not only did they have all the memorabilia and so many different photographs but like just seeing like, I mean, they they loved, you know, their brother and they were all very close. And Dan, who's the youngest uh, or he's the, he's he was younger than Hawk. Um, Dan really looked up to Mike a lot. And he uh, actually I think I want to say like in the AWA era of the Road Warriors, he like single handedly made a lot of their merchandise. Like he actually made a lot of those T-shirts um, and then it would, you know, Dan would be in the back of the auditorium, you know, running the, the road warriors merch table, um, which is kind of cool. Cause like another thing that I kind of look at this whole road warriors story as, you know, like the road warriors are always kind of transcended wrestling in a way to me because they're sort of like a rock band. Like they, they, they were never really beholden to one federation really. I mean, in, until they got to the WWF, but you know, for, for the longest time they kind of were out on their own as an attraction. And, you know, Paul Ellering was their real manager and, you know, got them from town to town and booked them and handled the money and handled different opportunities, licensing and everything. I mean, Paul was the guy. And these guys were like two rock stars, you know, sometimes at odds with each other. But the, this whole story was kind of, you know, the story of a touring rock band is kind of how we looked at it. And of course, you know, the family's running the merch table, which is so cool. And, um, you know, they were very emotional about Hawk. I mean, obviously he's their brother and, you know, Hawk passed way too soon. But, you know, right from the get go, when we met these guys, you know, um, and, and, and we're, we're in their basement. I mean, they were they were just tearing up right from the beginning, just talking about Hawk. And, you know, um, and so it was still something that they're very much living with. Um, but, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome experience. I, again, growing up as a fan and then hearing all these stories about Mike, which I'm sure we'll get into because again, you only got the 44 minutes on the show, but there's a lot about Mike as a youngster. That's pretty fascinating. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, we heard, you know, his brothers say that he had all this energy. Uh, he was sort of hyperactive and that energy translated to him being good at, as they said, lifting weights and, and punching people. Uh, and they even show some childhood pictures where they're, sort of recreating a pose of him being a bit of a bully. And you hear from Scott Norton say he was the toughest guy on his side of the tracks. Hawk was the toughest guy on his side of the tracks and even tells a, uh, I don't know, a disturbing story about Hawk punching himself in the face just to get psyched up for a fight <laughs> to the point that he had multiple fractures like between his teeth. It's just, 
What an upbringing. Um, what can you tell us about Hawk as a youngster? <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, just from my impression, you know, from Rich and Dan, um, you know, Hawk was, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, he was definitely a fighter in school and, 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 and he liked to fight. Like he really liked to fight. I think he sought out fights. You know, I, I think it was Rich who said in the interview, he said like, you know, when we were growing up, we were chasing girls and going out and drinking beers and stuff. And, you know, Mike would just be cruising the streets looking for people to beat up, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and yeah, the whole thing about him punching himself in the face too is, is just wild. Like, I think obviously I think, uh, the logic there isn't very sound, but the idea was kind of like, if I can punch myself in the face, you know, as hard as I can, like it'll strengthen my, you know, uh, <laughs> my, like it'll condition me to not be knocked out as easy or something crazy like that. But there's also these wild stories about Hawk growing up where like, <clears throat> He would like collect animal bones and like he would connect he would uh, he would collect snakes and he had like like in his room growing up he had like skulls everywhere like animal skulls and bones and like yeah he was just a wild different kid and um I think and also Dan and you know and he I, I, and I know he didn't see eye to eye with his father a lot of the time and I think that Mike also kind of looked or he kind of appeared directionless to them like he kind of grew up and they were all very worried about like, like what mike would become uh when he when he grew up um and obviously the perfect outlet for him was to become a bouncer uh when when he finally worked at grandma b's but they 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 couldn't believe you know when he became a superstar as the road warriors and actually you know had a million dollars in the bank like that's something they never thought they would ever see. So for them, that was just a really, you know, it's just this very unexpected thing. But Mike really found perhaps the greatest thing he could possibly do with all this energy and just this wild, larger-than-life persona has become a professional wrestler. Well, it's probably hard for a lot of kids to imagine their sibling growing up to become a millionaire, especially when they, uh, you know, have this sort of, rough and tumble lifestyle. Let's talk about grandma bees though, because this has become a legendary bar over the years. It is a central piece of the road warrior story. Of course, that's where they first meet Ole Anderson and animal gets himself booked in Atlanta as a result. But to hear Barry Darso tell stories about this thing, uh, this felt like, uh, maybe one of the roughest bars in town. I mean, sometimes a strip club, sometimes wet t-shirt contests. Uh, if you were, uh, if you were a badass in those days, you tried to drink your swill here at Grandma B's, right? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a place like we just heard like all these urban legends about. You know, there's just so many like crazy stories that come out of this place. Um, it's just a, it's a shame, you know, that it's it's no longer like what it used to be. Um, but we definitely want no longer there. Yeah, like we wanted to try and encapsulate like the memory of that place in some way. Um, especially through the reenactments of it. Um, but yeah, it just sounds like they had like just so many epic brawls and like moments where, you know, they were like just throwing people out. They used to like, we didn't, there's one, like there's so many details I wish we could have gotten into, but they used to like set up like a trip wire right outside the door. And so they would like, they had a competition as to like to see how far they could like throw somebody and how many flips they could do in the air when their like foot would hit the wire. Um, but yeah, it's just, it sounds like just a great, like breeding ground for, uh, a bunch of wrestlers at that time. period. Yeah. It's like you hear <clears throat> that line from, from, from animal in the episode where he says, you know, we were tough guys trying to be wrestlers and most of the other guys were wrestlers trying to be tough guys. And that's really true. I mean, these dudes were, you know, some of the toughest strongest guys you know that, that like you could find and especially this bar and i remember grandma b's growing up i never went inside because obviously i was too young but i definitely remember driving by and seeing that place from the outside and hearing the reputation it had through my family and everything and that was a that was a kind of no joke type place especially in that time what did uh what did barry uh -oh. darso tell you about spending time at grandma b's evan yeah, so um, <laughs> this is a wild story that, again, I wish we had the runtime to talk about. But, 
you know, when Jason was talking about the steel cable wire, they had the, the like trip wire outside of Grandma B's and they're throwing guys through it. There was a guy there who was because, um, you know, Grandma B's was also a strip club. And and uh, Barry told the story where there was this guy who um, uh, who was bothering the girls and uh, and he kept bothering the girls. And Barry was there to um, basically say, knock it off. Like, you know, if you do this again, you, you know, you're out, buddy. And so this guy, you know, he goes and, you know, Barry, he, he comes back and he sees he's still touching the girls inappropriately. And so then Barry's like, all right, I'm going to throw this guy out of here. So Barry goes, he grabs the guy. He actually like throws him over a table, knocks his teeth out. You know, I mean, literally beating this guy and he throws him out the door through the tripwire. And then the guy looks back at Barry and he says, I'm going to kill you is what he says. And, uh, you know, and that's very typical of what someone would maybe say in that situation. So he didn't think anything of it. And so then Barry uh, a few days later, uh, these cops come, you know, who normally arrest the guys they throw out. But the cops come to, over to the bar and they come up to Barry. And uh, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, Barry, we got a problem here. Uh, and he's like, what? 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 And he's like, you know, that guy you threw out, you know, like the guy that you warned all those times and you knocked his teeth out. Well, he's a killer. He's on parole and he actually killed people. And he told us in jail that he's coming back and he's going to kill you. Oh, <laughs> that's what he said. And uh, <laughs> and this guy's, uh, you know, and Barry's 18 or 19 or something at the time. It's like crazy. And um, so, you know, Barry shrugs it off. And then a few weeks later, he's working at the bar. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he sees the guy. He sees this killer guy. And he's like, oh, my God. And Barry tries to kind of like duck and, you know, so he doesn't see him. And then right as the guy walks by, Barry springs out of the corner of the bar and just t- starts tackling this guy and then just starts beating him and punching him and just, you know, just just going crazy, you know, uh, on this guy. And then all of a sudden he throws him out and the cops are there. But then the cops tell him, like, Barry, I'm sorry, but you uh, you beat up the wrong guy. And he realizes that this guy, this killer guy had a twin brother and he beat up his twin brother. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I know it's the best. <laughs> My goodness, this is some silliness. Uh, it's funny that you know, <laughs> since we've just been talking, I, I threw Grandma B's into my Google machine, and I saw where eventually it wound up being closed for failure to pay taxes. Uh, but uh, I saw a note in here that said Grandma B's had the highest number of police calls for a bar in the second precinct of Minneapolis while it was operating. So there was no bar. Uh, more hot with police activity uh, and calls to 911 than Grandma B's. Uh, one of the other folks that uh, is pretty integral in uh, the uh, the development of the Road Warriors, Eddie Sharkey. And and we mm-hmm. learn about Eddie Sharkey, and, and that's a name that a lot of old school wrestling fans will be familiar with because so many guys went through his school, but then to hear Animal tell it, uh, hey, Eddie didn't do anything. He didn't smarten us up. He didn't even leave the chair. And Eddie said, oh, I would tell him, hey, don't suplex each other while I'm out of the room. Uh, This is a character and a half here. What was it like to meet Eddie and spend some time with him, Evan? I love the, I love the image of, um, of Eddie just sitting in a chair directing these guys as he's training them. It's amazing. Um, but Eddie, Eddie was, was a character. I mean, this guy, um, yeah, I mean, just from another whole generation entirely. Um, but it was so cool to be able to spend time with him um, and and just hear his stories. I mean, he had so many stories from being in the business in the in the late 60s and early 70s and stuff like that. It was just wild. Um, but we went over to his place and he was as cool as can be. He was so happy to be involved in this project, first of all. I mean, and 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 he's trained a lot. I mean, he he trained Sean Waltman, I believe, and he's trained a lot of guys that have come out of uh, that have come out of Minnesota. Um, but one of my favorite, or I have two real quick favorite Eddie Sharkey stories. One is a story we used to have as uh, it actually was in the episode for a very long time, but we cut it for time. It's just one of the things you have to do. But he had the story that he told about Harley race where um, during a match, uh, a, a fan basically just attacked Harley race, you know, like basically jumped this, jumped the, the, the jumped the, uh, the railing and just started to attack him. And this 
woman hit him over the head with like a high heel shoe. And and then, you know, obviously these people were just on, you know, on this fan like like crazy. And they started, you know, beating on this fan. And Harley was beating on him. And then and then uh, and then Eddie Sharkey kicked him in the head. And then Eddie goes in. I guess this was a, something that you did back in the day. I don't know. But Eddie went in to like grab the guy's eye. I guess that's like a thing that you do. I don't know. Wrestlers and so he went in to grab. Yeah. What's that? Wrestlers always go for the eye. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it is. Yeah, what's that? But anyway, <laughs> Eddie goes in for the eye on this fan. And uh, but then he he's quickly disturbed to know that someone's already gotten to the eye. Harley had already gotten to this guy's eye and it had popped out and Eddie Sharkey put his fingers in the guy's empty eye socket. (laughs) And uh, it was like, and then I I remember our sound guy during the interview when he's telling the story, he's like, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was the eye still attached? Like, what are you talking about? And then, and then, you know, Eddie Sharkey in his very Minnesotan accent is like, Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Have you ever put your fingers in an empty eye socket? You know, um, and it's just this wild stories. And he also has another infamous moment that a lot of people tend to remind him very often is when he actually, he actually shot, he actually emptied a, an entire pistol, uh, in, uh, Vern Gagne's office. Cause you know, obviously AWA is a huge, was, you know, is local to Minneapolis and, and, uh, and, uh, Eddie worked you know, very closely with Vern uh, a couple of times. Um, but apparently there's a story where, you know, uh, Eddie Sharkey, I think in the early seventies, he was, he was engaged or he was married to princess Lilfoot. She was a female wrestler. And, um, Apparently, Vern had made a move on her, or or done something to that effect, and 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 Eddie Sharkey was not uh, happy whatsoever, and he basically was so irate that you know he basically grabbed his loaded gun and was on the way to, you know, shoot Vern Gagne, and he, he takes his loaded pistol all the way to the AWA offices, but by a miracle, Vern isn't there. He's not there, and it's just an empty office building. But Eddie's still pissed enough to where he just fight, he just unloads the gun in Vern's office, shooting everything, and essentially, and he's telling us a story which is unbelievable, and he unloads the pistol, and then he just calmly and coolly just you know takes the elevator downstairs to the first floor, and I was like, well, what did you do? Did you did you run like after you did this? And he's like, no, I just took my time. Walked outside there, you know, saw a little dog, pet a little dog that was there in the first floor lobby and then just walked out. And then it was actually in the newspapers. Like this isn't some wrestler tall tale. Like he actually showed us the the newspaper article that talked about him doing this. And of course, just goes to show you what a different time it was because I don't think he suffered any repercussions from it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, one yeah. of the other more critical people in the development of the Road Warriors, of course, Ollie Anderson, who, uh, as we said, first encountered Animal at Grandma B's. And uh, these guys don't start as tag team wrestlers. Hawk has his own uh, singles run in Canada uh, to not that much success. And Animal sort of has the same experience. He even talks about, you know, working nine matches a week for $150 to the point that he actually loses 50 pounds of body weight. Because he can't afford to eat and his first look as the road warrior. And he reminds us that's the singular version, uh, looked more like the village people. Uh, but <laughs> when he sees that there's two of these guys, uh, he decides to uh, put them together, call them the road warriors. They get their inspiration from the, one of the lead villains from the mad max movies where he was experimenting with face paint. They show up to uh, TBS the first time and they just hand them the belts and sort of like Pat Patterson and the. A Rio de Janeiro intercontinental title tournament. They won these in a tournament that was make believe pretty fantastical story that, Hey, it's your first time on major league TV and we're going to make you tag champs, even though we've never seen you before. I mean, this is unlike any other story in wrestling, right, Jason? Yeah. uh, Well, it just goes to show. I think just like the, I I think kind of like the foresight that they had in these two guys, like when you do, even when you see them back then where they look like, two guys who came out of the William Franken movie, uh, cruising. It's just like, it's still like, it's a package. Like you can tell that there's like potential here. So, and they're just huge. And so I, you know, if you're going to, well, 
I don't know. Maybe there is a world where like it would have been cool to see them just like dominate and like win those titles, but you know they were going to be the champions regardless. Well, I just like the idea that <clears throat> you know they had this. I mean, th- this whole vision of like casting guys in this role. I mean, obviously you go back and you and you watch um, their first match, and it's a little clunky. Obviously, these guys are green, super green. But I just like the idea because I mean, this is something that really I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong here. Wrestling historians will probably get at me. But I don't know. Has anyone been booked in that sort of way before where it's just like, here's this unstoppable force and we're going to book it, you know, like where these guys are never going to lose or they're never going to sell for anyone? Because that was a huge thing that they also told them from the very beginning is they said, you know, here's the belts. Go out there and just kick the shit out of these guys. You know, don't sell for anything, you know. Um, And I just I, I love that. And I also love how. You know, um, Oli had the vision too to be like, well, this Road Warrior movie is really popular. You know, let's take a, you know, let's take a page out of that. You know, because then of course, and you see how that evolves over time with their look. But I just, I just like the idea of kind of building your own Road Warrior. You know, I, I, I think that's kind of cool. No question about it. You know, they talk about how their star is everywhere they go. They even detail their big runs in Japan and how they were just sellouts at the airport, you know, hundreds of photographers who wanted to get a piece of these guys. And this is really the first time we hear that, uh, maybe Hawk was a different kind of cat and he enjoyed hanging out with the Yakuza and uh, maybe overindulging and would go missing for a couple days at a time. Is this really the first time that animal opened up about some of the substance issues, or maybe that's the wrong word, the love of partying that Hawk had? I think so. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on all the interviews he's done. Um, but you know, it definitely, when he approached me at Starcast and we were talking about, you know, doing the episode, I think because, I mean, you know, he knows the show's dark side of the ring and, you know, he had seen some of the other more tragic stories that we've cut that we've covered on the show. Um, he kind of was prepared to talk about those sort of things. And there's even some things that he told me off camera that I wish that he told me on camera. And, I, and, 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 and not that he told me them, you know, because no cameras were on. But I think there were just things that came to him later on or things that he wanted to mention, you know. But I think that, like, the true depth of, you know, Hawk's substance abuse is, was pretty extreme, you know, from what I understand. I mean, we talk about it in the episode. But, I mean, I think this guy... I, I just have the impression that, you know, he was doing almost anything and everything. I mean, you, you hear about him contracting, you know, hepatitis C and you hear about those things. And there's only kind of certain ways to get that, you know. Um, and uh, w- when we were hearing stories about, you know, crack and heroin and you're, you're hearing about some pretty extreme things that are going on with him. So that was really eye opening to me uh, just about really the the depth of um you know, his substance problems. Yeah, it's uh it's a sad story and we know it doesn't have the best ending, but he does pull the nose up before the end, but there's still lots of wrestling to do, including the breakdown of, uh, and man, how eloquent is, is Paul Ellering, but he describes the, the road warrior pop, which isn't something people talk about as much these days, but it was definitely a thing. Uh, Evan, what can you tell us about the Road Warrior Pop? Well, who's getting the Road Warrior Pop these days? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, basically the Road Warrior Pop, you know, um, is has become uh, the term to describe basically this louder than God, you know, uh, reaction that a uh, wrestler or wrestlers get on their like on their way to the ring. I mean, the road warriors are, are the barometer for that. They're, they're the, uh, they're the, they've set the bar in terms of, you know, what the the craziest, loudest reaction can be. And they still use that today as like, you know, here's the, the road warrior pop scale, you know? And, uh, when you go back and you look at, um, some of those like NWA mid eighties entrances and their entrances in Japan, of course, maybe even better. But when you, and you look when like, you know, black Sabbath, iron man is like ripping and these guys are just hitting the ring. There's really nothing like that feeling. I mean, it really is 
like a show onto itself, you know, um, in terms of just their entrance. And I think those guys have arguably, you know, arguably one of the greatest entrances in wrestling history. You know, if you look at them in their prime. And when you like when you hear that first like strum of the guitar from the from the Iron Man song, it's just like this guttural like feeling, like the way that that must like feel like in an arena. And when you see the visual of like the Road Warriors come out like to that and the build up with that song, it's like it's just it like hits you in the gut. It like it's like the perfect image me mixed with like the perfect like symphonic sound you know it's just the blend of the two together really becomes this larger than life experience yeah i i uh love you know like in the 80s obviously you know it doesn't happen much anymore but in the 80s when you know when wrestlers would adopt popular rock songs you know as their entrances and in the 90s too but you know i don't know if there's a better pairing of like a a established song and a wrestler's entrance and i and i and i love just you know outside of wrestling just the idea of of like you know combining uh, a song like that with a dramatic you know sort of entrance like that and i and i think that those guys like the road warriors plus black sabbath is perhaps the greatest pairing of you know uh rock song and wrestler ever you know i mean maybe someone would come in with some other example but to me it's like that those opening notes of Tony Iommi bending bending the E string, you yeah. know, on the headboard of his guitar, and them coming out with the spike shoulder pads—that is a match made in heaven or hell. Incredible, yeah. And like they did, like when they went to WWF, and I think Jimmy Hart made the theme song for the Legion of Doom. It's still like it's a great song, you know, it's awesome, but it just doesn't have the same effect as like that Black Sabbath song, but. You know, so big shout out to Jimmy Hart and his music. Like he created such incredible <laughs> entrance music. The only other song I think that compares to what you guys are talking about, and obviously it's a different time, different era, but Sandman and Metallica—that's oh. pretty next level. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. A- a- absolutely. Especially uh, One Night Stand, right? Oh, my the, the God. One Night Stand. Oh, uh, Weren't you there for that? I was. A religious what? experience. One of the best. My, my favorite and, and most special wrestling weekend ever, without question. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. We, Evan and I, yeah. we put that on, like, when we were on the road and sometimes we would, like, have crew members that we just, like, we didn't even have time to, like, interview them. And they're, like, they've gotten on a plane and they've flown to meet us somewhere. And we have to, like, indoctrinate them, like, really quickly into the spirit of what we're doing. That, <laughs> that entrance uh, is, like, something we have played. Like, we've sat in the Airbnb in the hotel and played it many times to just inspire ourselves and... Uh, crew members of just like the spirit of what we're doing. (laughs) We totally get hyped on that intro, like a hundred percent. And actually just, I know this is a total sidebar we're going here, but whatever. Um, When we interviewed Sandman for the new Jack episode, I, I had a little, I did a little sidebar interview with him to, you know, basically be like, you know, take me through beat by beat your entrances, you know, and how that just evolved because it is really like he is, that's some of the greatest. I mean, you know, like when you look at the Sandman's entrances and how 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 labored they are and how much time he takes and how slow he is and and, and it's like it's really incredible. There's nothing else really like it. Um so I would say Road Warriors best of the 80s, Sandman best of the 90s. Hard to argue that. Another thing that's very very 80s, the scaffold match. I knew this would be discussed. Obviously, there's not a ton of time to spend on it, but what a spectacle it was! And if you're trying to explain uh, and add context to the time and the business and the Road Warriors run to a mainstream audience who don't know what a scaffold match is and have never been familiar with it, they've got to be blown away with the spectacle of this, right, Jason? Well, yeah, it's like. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, even like from just a filmmaking like point of view, it's just such a crazy thing to like separate like your your um, performers like from the ring just so like far away <laughs> and like how they have to like shoot it like from a distance. But it's uh, 
it is amazing. Like it is thrilling. Like we, we don't we don't get into it, but you know, obviously there's that moment where Jim Cornette like breaks his leg. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like he blew his knees out. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like really sketchy to watch. One of the other things that really stands out if you're if you're not familiar with uh, the genre, we'll call it, is when Animal starts discussing the schedule because their touring schedule was just brutal, and that really leads to Barry Darso sort of explaining the painkiller routine that became commonplace where. You've got to have something to get up, but then you've got to have something to take you down. But somewhere in there, you've got to cope with the pain. And a lot of these guys, unfortunately, mixed alcohol with some of these painkillers. And maybe they were using the quote unquote wrestler dosage. And that was not ideal. And and perhaps one of the biggest victims of that was Hawk. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, this is where the real tragedy of the story starts, right, Evan? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Hawk, you know tragically is you know part of one of those wrestling wrestling statistics of guys who got into those patterns and abused very similar you know uh, uppers and muscle relaxers and got into that pattern and um you know that was and and even even more cryptically there's a lot of guys who you know are from minnesota we, we haven't really brought them up yet but a lot of guys that you know, um, went to the surrounding high schools that Hawk did when he grew up, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, and, and those guys who are also no longer with us. And so it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely a, a, a vicious cycle that those guys got into. And it's just, it's just really unfortunate. Um, but I think, you know, knowing what we know about Hawk's just extracurricular, you know, activities and all the different, you know, drugs that he was into and the addictive personality he did had, it was just a recipe for disaster right from the get go, I think. Yeah. And, and animal details that really, it got worse in the WWF. And when you hear about that era's grueling schedule, maybe you could make sense of that, but Nikita goes on record as saying he didn't hide any of his use. He being Hawk, that Hawk was sort of out front about, you know, what he was taking and what he was drinking and what his consumption was. And it wasn't necessarily a secret except maybe to the fans. And I think the first time that maybe any fans noticed anything, and I have to admit, I didn't notice it at all was the Wembley stadium SummerSlam in 1992. It's a major moment yeah. in the story. And, and I'll admit I had heard stories about Hawk burning his leg on the side of the motorcycle because he was just sort of out of it. But I didn't know that, you know, their opponents were changed and their spot on the card was changed and Hawk was you sort of out of sorts in the match and they couldn't do a typical finish because Hawk wasn't stable enough to do it. That really took me back. I mean, we heard on the heels of that and it's become wrestling legend that he and the berserker just sort of went missing for a bit and apparently joined a motorcycle gang or something. And uh, what a moment this SummerSlam 92 story was, this is really when it, it takes a turn for the worse, right? Jason. I, yeah, I believe so. And it's, I, and I also, I remember watching that event live as well too. And obviously as a kid, like I didn't notice like the difference. And when, um, like, I, I think when we first started getting the cuts and like, you know, when you refocus on those moments in the archival where you see a couple of those spots in the match where he's like kind of confused as to where he is and he's getting in the way of some of the other spots, you know, it, it is like, man, it is like a sad thing. Cause it's like, man, it's such a, like the, the spectacle of that event and like seeing them come in, it's such a career high, highlight. Um, but yeah, it was eye opening to kind of see like those moments kind of up close. Um, yeah, definitely sad for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I actually remember when we, again, yeah, when we had those early cuts of the episode and, and, and I remember, uh, cause you know, when you hear them tell the story, it's one thing. But then to go back and look at the footage and when you put it all together, I kind of remember being like, do a lot of people know about this or like has a lot of people noticed this? Because I, I didn't remember it either. I thought I just, you know, but apparently if and especially if you didn't know about it, then it must have been something that, you know, um, yeah, was was uh, something that the more they, they've been they've been uh, easier to talk about now. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild to look at, you know, you know, for such a high profile match and especially for such a time in their career. Um, you know, uh, when they really could have excelled to the, even the next level. Um, it's just really unfortunate. 
Yeah. I mean, cause what a spectacle it was, you know, them riding their motorcycles to the ring and you know, they had the gold shoulder pads. I mean, they had a cool presentation there and it just felt like, Hey, this could be a launching point, but instead that's sort of the end for a little bit. And Hawk's going to go off to Japan and sort of do his own version. But before we talk about that, let's talk about one of the highlights of their run with Vince. And this has become a legendary story that apparently in some strip bar after everything was closing down <laughs> one by one, Vince McMahon takes everybody's finish, including the road warriors finish. And to have Godfather tell the story, that's uh, quite the spectacle. Yeah. That, that story had such a profound effect on us when we, when we were filming it. Um, and we, w- I think it's the thing that we've tried to fit into so many different episodes <laughs> as just like a thing that we, we, we think is so special. Um, and it we was just that like interview with the Godfather, what, like two years ago, um, for the brawl for all episode. And he, we actually had like wrapped his interview and we just started like hanging out and he just started telling more stories. It's like stories outside of like the brawl for all. And I was like, Hey, do you mind? Like we just pull out the camera and we just like, I kind of freestyled while he was just like riffing off these amazing Vince McMahon stories. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, Evan, like that was something it just like, ever since we heard him tell that story in that way, we were just like so blown away by it and thought like, yeah, if, if it doesn't make it into the episode, then well, we'll, we'll, we'll put it out there in some, in some way. Well, it was always the thing, you know, when we're doing these interviews and we're filming the show, there's that look that we give each other when you know there's something we're going to reenact at some point. And um, this was definitely that. Like, this was always like, well, we got to do Vince taking the Doomsday in a strip club as a reenact. One of them in... um, scenes to uh to finally shoot uh it was something obviously we'd filmed two years prior so when we actually did it you know we we were stoked we need to apologize for evan's connection he's coming to us live from guatemala in a hut <laughs> oh with, shit uh, with a cup and is string. it bad right there uh, it, it was bad right there but you want me to redo that part uh, i can redo it no we're, we do it live here we're doing it fucking live oh, uh, no big deal listen let's talk about hawk <sighs> sort of taking his own version of the road warriors to Japan. And we see the super warrior. It's apparent that this is something that really hurt animals feelings. And he was already not in the, uh, I don't know. He didn't have the best relationship with Hawk just based on Hawk's substance issues and, and his inability to perform at SummerSlam. But now to see that he's found another tag team partner to wear the shoulder pads and the spikes, he took this very personally. Did he not Jason? Yeah, it was actually, he, he goes, uh, the character goes by the Power Warrior, um, played by... Uh, Power Warrior. <laughs> um, but yeah, it definitely seemed to be something that, you know, it rubbed Animal the wrong way. Um, you know, he, and, you know, they had this bond for, like, so many years and this thing that they, like, created together. I don't blame him for, you know, being bummed out that he, like, went off on his own and kind of just, like you know, allowed someone else to assume animals role. Um, but we do also love the power warrior. <laughs> like we, like the, like well, the way he looks is like incredible. And it's almost like having like the green ranger of like the road warriors in some way. Well, yeah, hopefully I don't, my, I don't, this, my connections working here, but it's also like looking at this as a story of a rock band, you know, like I was talking about, it's like, this is, you know, what, what happened to them at Wembley stadium, you know, is kind of like the moment, you know, like, you know, animals, like the more straight member of the band and, 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 and Hawks, the wild one. And then they have this onstage incident, you know, that tears them apart. And now, you know, Hawks, you know, aggravated and wandered off doing a solo album. It's kind of like the same kind of trajectory as one of these kind of rock and roll stories, which is just so amazing. You know, I, I love it. Yeah, I like the comparison with a rock band, and that, that totally makes sense. Something you mentioned earlier, um, eventually Hawk contracts Hepatitis C, and he starts to take this very seriously, but magically somehow he kicks out of it, and when he does, 
the doctor says, okay, you're back to normal. And animal says that was a bad thing to tell Hawk because he really turned it up again. And eventually we would see that turned into a storyline. Of course, when they rejoin the world wrestling federation, draws joins the team and it's almost presented as a contingency plan that, Hey, if uh, Hawk can't keep it between the ditches, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll use draws. And we know the storyline they did with Hawk being under the influence. Let's just back off of the documentary here for a minute. Jason, what did you think of them turning Hawk's real life substance issues into a storyline? Were you in favor of that? I mean, I know that sounds silly, but Paul Ellering says that's what wrestling is. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's happened many times before where you've seen, you know, they, you, them using, um, the personal lives of wrestlers as part of like a storyline, I guess, like for me, even at the time when it was happening, I didn't like it because it stepped out of the like fantastical, like for me, the, like the, almost the comic book, like aspect of the characters and like what I feel I don't know, like what I would want to see from their like storylines. To me, it's like using like his substance abuse as like a storyline. I don't know. For me, it kind of just ruined the mystique of it. And it just, I don't know, for the legacy of the characters, I don't think it's necessarily like that cool of a thing. But I don't know. No. Maybe some people were inspired by the story. I, I'm not sure. But I just think, I don't know. No, I, it wasn't cool. I, I think I think you're being kind. Uh, I, I I don't think that anyone really liked the story. <clears throat> um, I, I I like as a wrestling fan. I think introducing Draws as a member of you know the Road Warriors is a cool idea. Uh, definitely, you know, um, absolutely. I just think yeah. I think it. I think it. it you know, and, and and I'm all for people's characters and storylines evolving and becoming something cooler, but. You know, this really, it just, it just wasn't a good look, you know, I don't think for the mystique of like what you were saying for their characters. Um, and I know because he still was dealing with issues, he wasn't totally sober. He wasn't, he hadn't come through this thing. And I think, you know, to, to, to basically put him in that position even then, I, I think is just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, there's something icky about it. Yeah. I would agree with that. That's the right word to use it. And maybe perhaps nothing more icky than when, Draws would push Hawk off the Titan Tron and, um, soon after the road warriors are ready to move on and Hawk is back out drinking and doing over the counter Xanax and cocaine apparently doesn't go to bed for two days in Australia. And then he collapses and, uh, man, it's just, it seems like it's a bad time, but thankfully Hawk turns to religion at the end of his life remarries a new lady, a new positive influence. And, uh, it feels like it's sort of a new leash on life for him. And he moves into a new place, but maybe overexerts himself a little bit, lays down and that's it. His heart stops and, uh, we lose him way, way, way too young. And I still remember the clip you guys showed from mean gene hosting confidential how wild was that show evan in hindsight i mean that thing my goodness so weird so weird um it's it's uh for those that don't know it it, it was like uh, i think it was like in the early to mid 2000s when they did they ran this s several seasons quote unquote of the show called wwe confidential where they essentially were doing like their own tabloid show kind of examining kind of some tragic stories that we talk about and you know one of the other ones was when they covered the death of miss elizabeth and they're going into detail about the way she passed away and and the circumstances with lex luger it's just really weird for the company of itself to make mention of that you know um and yeah just very bizarre i i, I is that even something that's on the network no yeah, it is i think isn't it I don't think confidential is there. It might be. I, I thought it was. I think I've seen clips of it on there. Well, so weird. The thing that jumps out to me in this whole story and Lord, I know you guys are going to disagree with me here, but hmm. I, I get a weird vibe from animal in this show. Like maybe animal still has a little animosity towards Hawk. I mean, obviously he wants to remember the, the fine times, but and maybe it's just because Paul Ellering's so eloquent, but when he talks, when you, I think it was you, Evan, asked him if he remembers something he said at the eulogy for Hawk. 
I'd never really seen or, or, or conversated with Paul Ellering in real life. So I only knew the character, the larger than life sort of performance he would put on for the camera, but man, that guy, he just hit me right in the feels, but it feels like with, with animal, it's, it's very matter of fact, and it was a stark contrast and maybe one felt a little more slighted than the other. I mean, what, what would you take on that, Evan? What, what do you think? Uh, I mean, first off, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that, you know, I think Hawk Animal had a very strained relationship. And one of the things that we wanted to look at with this episode was, you know, the fact that when Hawk passed away and when, when Hawk went off to do the, the, the thing in Japan, I mean, you know, this is kind of playing with Animal's identity. You know, who is Animal without Hawk? You know, and I think that all the stuff that Animal had to go through in terms of, you know, picking up the pieces after Hawk, you know, when he was when he would go off and he would party and all this stuff and have to come and save him and, uh, you know, in, in in Australia and take him home and, and and all that stuff. And then, of course, when he passed, I think there is animosity deep rooted that and I, I, like I think he still loves him, but I don't think that Animal's the type of guy who can really go there emotionally emotional wise with it. I think there is some unresolved things there, but he still always talks about Hawk. He always brings up stories about him and old war stories and road stories. He loves talking about Hawk, but I think once you really get to the emotion of the guy, you know, Joe Laurinaitis, I don't know. It's, he was a hard person to open up in that emotional sort of way. And I tried, you know, um, but with Paul, I mean, the guy is, you know, that was one of the more poetic, moments uh in all of dark side of the ring i would say that was you know there's been a few times that i've actually teared up in interviews and that was definitely one of them just because it was so beautiful that whole story with the van and restoring it and driving it down to florida and it's so touching it's unbelievable um yeah and and paul is just a hell of a guy just a one of the nicest people we've ever interviewed and just frankly an amazing interview and i have to give a special shout out to that amazing hawk pendant that he's wearing uh in the interview which i think is just completely badass well, let's mention too you know scott norton one of the most legit badasses perhaps in the history of professional wrestling him getting emotional man that was hard to see was it not oh yeah um you know scott um can i I, I, I definitely got to mention a story that Scott told us about Hawk, too. It's another thing that we tried to fit in the episode, which is, I think, kind of sums it all up. Um, is They were wrestling, I believe, in the Tokyo Dome. It was a, t- it was a tag match with you know Hawk and... Uh, I don't think it was with Animal, but it was Hawk and somebody versus... Maybe, maybe, maybe it was uh, Power Warrior against uh, Scott Norton and somebody else. And they do this spot where they don't clothesline each other. Hawk and they just clothesline the shit out of each other, and it's Scott Norton and 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 Hawk and they're just and they both go down and they're just staring up at the lights in the Tokyo Dome, listening to the crowd, and then uh, Hawk just leans over to Scott and just you know says to him, "Can you believe it? You know, two kids from Minneapolis made it this far and made it to this moment, and it's like this. That's just like everything to me about this story is just like these guys." who, you know, came up through the ranks, you know, and, and, and I'm from Minnesota. I mean, it's hard to crack through, you know, coming from the Midwest, you know, and I think the fact that these guys just, you know, went through everything together, all the hurdles of the business and conquered all this to that moment. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. And, and, you know, Scott was cool as hell and Scott, you know, um, he's got stories for days. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he was, he was awesome to interview for sure. One of the best moments of the entire episode is when his brother broke down saying he wasn't Hawk. You know, they don't miss this make-believe figure with, you know, the double mohawk and face paint. They miss their brother. And Paul Ellering, again, who stole the show, he's pretty eloquent in the way he says, brothers fight. And it's a way to sort of describe the ups and downs of the relationship with Hawk and animal. So I feel like Paul maybe is more uniquely qualified to understand the complicated relationship that animal and Hawk had than anyone else, because he was there for most of this and it just sort of jumped off the screen 
for him to sort of try to explain how brothers fight, but he's talking about, you know, your wrestling brother, your tag team brother. And then we get the contrast of his actual brothers. He wasn't Hawk. This was well mm-hmm. done. What, what do you think of this, Jason? And, and sort of the contrast of what's real and what's not, but even when it wasn't real, the emotions were. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like I was saying at the beginning of this interview, like, or this podcast about how, like, you know, how much we idolize the road warriors, like growing up, how they're like these larger than life characters, like the image of them is so like powerful. And, you know, we had the action figures and the t-shirts and everything. And like Hawk, it's like growing up, everything you see of him is this like over the top character. He's got like the most incredible, like promos, like the, the charisma that like just leaps off the screen when the camera's on him is just incredible. So then when you get to like hear about like the real guy, especially from the people who are close to him, but like his brothers and how they just kind of, they kind of like just cut down this idea, you know, of, you know, worshiping the, the image of him as like Hawk, but that, you know, for them, he was just, he was their brother. He was their brother, Mike. And, you know, it just, it humbles you in a way because it's like, yeah, these are, you know, he's a real guy who had, you know, people that he loved. And that's one thing too. Like when whenever we could find these out of character interviews with him, which are, they're very, there's only a couple like out there that you can find. It's like really cool to hear like just how much he like cared about other people. He talks about it a lot. Like you get a sense that he really, you know, he had so many people that he loved that were close to him. And then, as you can see at the end of the episode, like people were just so emotional about him. Like all these guys, like you said, who were just so like, you know, tough or like, you know, are crying about the loss of their friend. Um, and I think it just, it just speaks volumes as to, you know, he was so larger than life on the screen, but just imagine if you got to know him as a friend and how like impactful he was on everyone he knew. Um, you could just really feel that. I think, and he also, like, he just was that type of personality that made such a profound effect on people. You know, like, he was that guy that everyone loved. You know, like, wrestlers loved him. Um, his family, I mean, he was really good to his family. Um, you know, there's that. There's this amazing story where he took his entire family, like, literally, like, 15 people plus, all to Hawaii and paid for the whole thing and brought everybody there. Um, and... And also, but obviously, you know, there's some shady characters that loved him too. Um, you know, we talk about the the a Japanese mafia who, you know, really did have a relationship with him. And even the New York mob loved him and biker gangs loved him. Like, he just made a profound effect on a lot of people. Um, and that was something really kind of sobering to see when we did all these interviews was just, you know, here we are as two wrestling fans expecting doing kind of a, you know, like road warriors worship piece and then we're getting this unexpected emotion and that was kind of a really you know wild experience for us let's wrap things up here you know the road warriors may be the most iconic tag team of all time again i'm not saying perhaps they had the best matches or the best in ring performers but when you think about professional wrestling if you say who's the most famous professional wrestler in the world most people would say hulk hogan or maybe more recently perhaps the rock but Hulk Hogan was, was a staple. I mean, he was a pop culture icon. And when it came to tag team wrestling, the road warriors were sort of the Hulk Hogan equivalent. Would you agree with that, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Like, just like I've been saying, like the, the whole package is just so perfect and so striking, and especially to, I think like kids like Evan and I, like when we grew up, you know, it was just so, there was something about them that was just so captivating. And, you know, it's like, it's, you know, there's like, a, there's like images in wrestling from my childhood that like stick out of my mind and like, you know, road warriors is definitely one at the very top of the list. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm a kid who grew up in the eighties. So, you know, I grew up loving like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters and, and I was really attracted to like high concept, like characters and the road warriors just right off the, like just the image of them alone was just so captivating. Um, there's just nothing like them. I think like, you know, a hundred years from now when, 
it's just like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Someone's just going <laughs> to Hasbro figures like under the dirt and they're going to be like, whoa, like <laughs> what kind of civilization like had characters like this? That's a good opening for a post-apocalyptic movie is somebody finding a Road Warrior action figure. <laughs> um, but for us, like, you know, also just the whole I, I have to mention because we were, you know, kids in a candy store here when we were actually making the Road Warriors reenactments when we were doing it and we were able to have our own shoulder pads and also to to create those Starcade steps, which was a huge um kind of thing that we wanted to do because it's just it adds so much to the heightenedness of the larger than lifeness of that character and so we just had a blast you know filming that stuff it was some of the most fun i think we had shooting any reenactments easily yeah i think we may have said it before but when we when we first came up with the concept of the show of making it a series we always like dreamt of that idea of like getting the pads on some guys and backlighting them and just kind of you know, living on a set with the Road Warriors was something that we really dreamed about. Well, listen, this was fun. Um, you know, I know this was a particularly fun episode for you guys. It was definitely a different style of episode for Dark Side of the Ring. Next week, though, man, you're going to hit us in all the feels. This is the story a lot of people have been looking forward to. I've had a chance to see an advanced version of it. I think it's the most emotional one you've done so far. Um, it's it's moving. I don't I don't know another way to describe it. How would you describe next week's episode all about Owen Hart, Evan? Well, ever since, you know, we did this show and and, and did season 1, you know, uh, so many people I would say have come out and, and asking us to do an Owen Hart episode and I was always uh, in, almost intimidated by that idea. Um, I I I I watched that pay per view live when you know when Owen passed away, and it had such a profound effect on me as a kid, and especially you know being being in the schoolyard the next day, and um, you know for us it was always this thing where I could only envision us doing this episode <clears throat> if we had the support. And uh, we had Martha Hart and her family on board was the only way this was going to happen. And I'm sure it's something we'll get into next week. But, you know, having her blessing and allowing us to do this and trusting us to tell the story from her perspective um, is just one of my uh, just favorite things about making the show. And I and 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 for her allowing us to do this. And I think it's going to for a lot of people, I think they're going to see this whole incident in a different way in a, uh, and in a different light. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I, it's definitely one of the more emotional episodes. So have a box of tissues uh, on standby for sure. I can't wait. Tune in next week. It's next Tuesday, every Tuesday, 10 PM on vice. Oh, I, Jason, before we get out of here, I think this is the season finale. Is there going to be a season three? What can you tell us? I can't really say much. We, we're at this point, we don't know yet. Um, I guess we're kind of just waiting to have those discussions, see what, you know, Vice thinks and if they want to do it. Um, but, you know, it's something Evan and I really want to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's still, you know, hopefully in the cards. Can we, uh, can we plug the soundtrack real quick? Oh, please do. <clears throat> um, yes. So, if you're, you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, so we have um, yesterday we dropped a music video um, for the first single from the official Dark Side of the Ring soundtrack, which will be uh, uh, available for pre-order on May 19th, and that's from Waxworks Records. So you can <clears throat> pre-order the deluxe double vinyl soundtrack of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, from waxworksrecords.com and uh, the whole sound or the uh, the greatest hit of the Dark Side of the Ring soundtrack will be available to stream on iTunes and Spotify uh, on May 19th so on the day of our season finale episode you'll be able to hear the greatest uh, tracks from our soundtrack composed by Andrew Gordon McPherson and Wade McNeil I mean these guys are literally one huge piece of the show. It wouldn't be the same show without their music. Um, and so we're just thrilled to be able to actually be able to finally release it. Um, and we released the road warriors music video, um, 
uh, and uh, their first single, which is called The Look from the soundtrack. So check it out. Check it out and don't miss next week's episode all about Owen Hart. It's going to be the talk of the wrestling Twitter. You don't want to miss it. It's on Vice, 10 p.m. Eastern. If you have DirecTV like I do, it's channel 271. And we'll be back next Wednesday to talk all about Owen Hart here on Grill and JR's feed. Of course, we're calling it Dark Side of the Podcast. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.